Hey, everybody, it's Joe Trippy, and welcome back to That Trippy Show. This week, after four years of Infrastructure Week being promised every week, finally, it really is. It's Infrastructure Week. Infrastructure Week, yeah, great. Uh, but seriously, good news for the Democrats as Biden finally got the infrastructure bill over the line. Lots to talk about this week as 2022 continues to take shape. Alex, where do you want to start? Well, I think we got to talk about the good news first. You were optimistic, Joe, last week after uh, Terry McAuliffe lost in Virginia, or at least more optimistic than I think most people were last week. Uh, we did get emails. We talked about this. And one I'll get to later, most of them agreeing with you, which I was a little surprised with. Um, so we should all be more optimistic now, right? After the big infrastructure bill passed, we talked about it with Ruth on the Tuesday show a little bit, but Joe, what does this really mean for 2022? Well, look, it, there's, it's, I said people were overstating, you know, how bad, uh, New Jersey and, and Virginia were, uh, I didn't think they were all that bad at all. Uh, again, you know, the, the, we reelected the first Democrat to be reelected in 40 years in New Jersey. That's that's a that's breaking an historic precedent. The fact that uh, Terry McAuliffe came so close actually broke historic precedent. It's usually a blowout for the party that uh, has the presidency. And so, you know, look, we could have won Virginia. There's things we could have done. And maybe if the infrastructure bill had uh, passed and there'd been a little bit more less of the headwinds, uh, going into it, uh, we would have done uh, better and, and maybe have won Virginia. But the reality is 2022 is a ways away. This infrastructure bill really does uh, give Biden a big victory. And I think, you know, we'll we'll that I think that's going to continue with the, the, the they will pass the the reconciliation bill, uh, build back better. So I think at this point, the real the reality is the you know there are some other headwinds out there though you've got inflation right. you know the report comes out 6.2% inflation uh people really were in, in you know at the time of those elections and today feeling the grip of growing gas prices increase in food prices uh across the board and that's look you can have good news like this, but that good news is, you know, we're not going to break ground on these projects, you know, in the next month or two. It's going to happen over the next year and and, and beyond. Uh, what people are feeling right now is dragged down Biden's approval rating, uh, hurt, I think, Terry McAuliffe in particular. And we've got a year now. So, so one I think this is the low point. In other words, this is the marking of the, the, the good news about the infrastructure bill, I think, is it's the turnaround point for Biden's approval rating, because in the end, that's what a midterm election is decided by. Either the, the, the president's approval rating is higher than it is today and the higher it gets the better it's going to be better shot we're going to have. And if it stays this low better shot, as it's yeah. been. Uh, it, it's going to be a painful, yeah, 2022. I think what's what's See happening ya. is that that the the Virginia New Jersey races 
occurred at the lowest point in the Biden presidency, and it's only going to go up from here. Infrastructure was the turning point. The rest of the uh, of what happens now, um, particularly is no Republican votes for anything else the rest of the year, uh, you know, won't vote for rec- reconciliation, none of that. And I think as Democrat, as the supply chain um, issues work out, as um, inflation come, you know, as, as, as people are able to, you know, supply catches up to demand, as all those things start to happen, uh, the econ- people's view of the economy is going to improve. I think it's all up from here. Man, that is pretty optimistic, Joe. Hope you're right, man. He needs it. Well, it is. I mean, you know, you look at what's what, we, you know, now, you know, uh, in in Build Back Better, you know, that's that, that we're going to be moving to, you know, next. Right. I mean, you know, lowering Medicare prescription drug prices, 88 percent of the country supports it. You know, coverage for dental, eye and hearing, you know, 84 percent support. You got, uh, you know, paid family leave. We don't know if that'll be in it or whether it'll stand alone. I'm personally one of those. I think it would be better to to stand alone because I think we could really go after the Republicans on it. Um, You know, 73 percent of the country supports that pre-K for uh, uh, for children, 67 percent. So you're going to get to this. You know, do these kinds of issues that Republicans are going to in lockstep oppose? So that's the that's the CBS YouGov poll that that came out this week, and one of the yeah. things that kind of the feeling online was. Well, you you yeah. sent that over to me and said you wanted me to talk about it today. So I'm glad you. Yeah, I probably should have called out what it was. Well, though. The, right. the interesting reaction to that poll was essentially every all of this stuff is really popular. So why does it feel like all of it is really unpopular? Why is there this huge fight right now where we actually have the data that shows that these kind of progressive ideas are actually things that the American people want? Why are we stuck in the mud? Uh, well, like first of all, like I said, there's a lot of things that uh, have people sour right now on government and uh, the Biden administration, and you know, and, and I think also the the Democrats fighting amongst themselves about the price of things or, or what should or shouldn't be in um, the package. I think uh, there's not a whole lot of understanding out there of what's actually in it, which I think now that uh, we have infrastructure passed, you know, people are going to, we're, we're going to start talking about what's in this thing. And, and they're all things that, that people support. There's an argument out there that people like all these things individually, but when you put them all together, they go, wow, that's really going to cost a lot of money. I think that's also part of it. That's part of the fog and the confusion that the Republicans uh, are and their rage machine is pumping out. But the reality is, um, is going to come out in uh, how it's paid for, right? And I think the Biden administration has, uh, and, and Democrats, uh, you know, when it won't be anybody under, you know, who makes less than $400,000, uh, we'll, we'll have their taxes increased. I mean, we'll see how this all comes out with CBO reports and other things. But I think even those questions are gonna start to dissipate and not, uh, and not uh, be as prohibitive. So look, I think in the end, it, it is all up from here. Uh, and that's generally the way this always works. Uh, the party that comes in with the president uh, really tries to get something big and bold passed in the first year, whether it's Obamacare, whether it's infrastructure, Trump, 
infrastructure, you know, infrastructure. Yeah. I mean, big things. Well, he did his tax, his big tax uh, right. cut and, and there's a reaction to it. I mean, there's a reaction to that big, bold thing that, you know, like, yeah, you, you cut taxes on the uh, on the rich. What did I get? People rebel. Saying, I mean, so I think, look, uh, that's the first thing that always happens. The next thing that happens is when does the party uh, does some of this stuff go into effect? And if it does uh, with, with with Trump, it never did. You know, it never really did. And by the time you get to the midterms in 2018, you have you you suffer. We have, um, I think, the time now to pass some very popular initiatives uh, on the Biden agenda, Build Back Better agenda. And I think that 2022 is far enough away right now that uh, we have time to implement some of this stuff. I also think that make what makes us totally different than every other year is COVID, uh, its impact on the economy, its impact on the supply chain, its impact on what's happening with interest rates and everything else right now. And I think that will also uh, ease up and play uh, play to to the positive way uh, as we go into 2022. So I want to get back to something you said earlier about paid family leave. The idea that it's a, a standalone bill that we can use as kind of a, a campaign tactic. What would that look like? That's pretty simple. I mean, look, I I, I get the argument for putting it all, you know, to, for keeping it all in. Uh, but I think um, I'm sort of side with those who think, no, make it pass all the rest of this, make this standalone. The reason is Congress and the Senate past paid family leave for themselves, several weeks of family paid family leave for themselves. A, a lot of those Republicans voted for that. A, 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 I think a majority of them did. Um, so it puts them in a very, you know, pretty bad position if they're going to vote against it. OK, so you voted for paid family leave for yourself, but you didn't vote. You won't vote for it for working people. Because uh, God knows you guys aren't doing any work up there. You just vote no on everything. I just think it's going it, to it, message wise, it might be better to, to put paid family uh, medical leave uh, as a standalone bill, get get uh, Build Back Better uh, reconciliation passed and then come right up right next the, the next thing, uh, paid family leave and put the Republicans who voted for it for themselves right on the spot. Make it make them pay pay the price if they're going to vote against it. So, it, what do you think? Is it paid family leave? What do you think the key issue for twenty two is right now? I'm going to ask you to look into your crystal ball. And historically, you've been pretty good at that. And I don't really want anyone to go back and listen and check. But let's say you've been pretty good at it in the past. I have been pretty good. No, <laughs> no. Well, part of it just has to has to do with uh, you know when you've been doing presidential races since 1979 i've seen you know i've i've watched how reagan came into power how you know how you know what happened the year after reagan came into power right well in virginia uh, you, you know chuck robb a democrat it's the first democrat in a long time to 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 win the 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 governor's office uh, 88 or excuse me 86 80, 85 because uh, Reagan gets reelected in 84 and 85, Jerry Blyles gets elected governor of Virginia. So you see these, these his, you have this historic sense of things. And I just think that uh, it will be a precedent breaking 
thing for Democrats to win the House in 2022. But I think what I saw in New Jersey and Virginia, just as an example, to answer your question, is that it didn't, we broke precedent in New, New Jersey and we came pretty damn close to breaking it in Virginia. Gave me a real sense that um, I think we were at the bottom and if we can go up from here, that we might be able to break precedent in 20, that historic precedent in 2022. And I also think that, look, we've got some, some things that give you reason to believe that. The Republicans are pretty screwed up right now. Yeah, we'll get into that in a minute. Well, yeah, but they're, you know, they're purging their best and there's very few of their best left and they're standing with their worst. Uh, so, um, you know, and I think COVID will be better than it was in 2021, in 2022. I think the supply chain will have worked itself. Uh, it may not be all back in shape, but better than it was and, you know, getting better. So I think, you know, all this wrong track stuff, approval, I think is going to go up from here. I think we got a lot of work to do. I mean, we got to build a pro-democracy coalition that, uh, that, gets, that gets the vote out, that makes clear to the American people what the stakes are. But um, I, I think, I'm, uh, you know, and maybe, and that's what I'm saying. I mean, having watched all this stuff, it's, it, you know, for so many years, you you get a real sense of how fast this can all turn. And I do believe the infrastructure bill passing, um, Democrats coming to agreement, you know, and I said at the time, you know, look, this is what democracy looks like. It's people arguing, caring deeply in what, with what they believe in, fighting hard for it, you know, yelling at each other, but eventually uh, enough of them come to grips with, uh, with a compromise that they uh, that you can you have the votes to to pass something, um, you know, an authoritarian works where from the top down everybody bows to the top guy and does whatever he says. Well, that's not you know this is you just saw what democracy looks like and it worked. Uh, they did come to agreement. They got it passed. So well, and the interesting thing was if you if you look at what the Republicans been doing for the last couple of days, the reaction has been pretty brutal. I think the, the Times came out this week with a, a bunch of the Republicans who voted for infrastructure were getting death threats already, which over an infrastructure bill, which is yeah. kind of insane. Well, that's what I said, purging purging their best and and standing with with uh, Gosar and the worst, you know, uh, given what he's, you know, yeah, talking about killing yep. AOC. Uh, you know, it's just uh, insanity on over there. Well, and I, and uh, Trump said it out loud, and he's he's it, we should no one should be surprised about this, but he he in a speech the other day said something like, "And no thank you to all all the Republicans who voted for this infrastructure bill because it gave Joe Biden a win." It it kind of gets to that right. Well, they're they're not going to vote for anything at this yeah, point. Well, well, a, a loser would say something like that. But, uh, but, but uh, you know, look, it's there. You look at, um, you know, the what's happening with with who's not running. I mean, you know, we're, we're going to talk about this, but, you know, it, I think there are going to be more Trump candidacies out there than than people who might represent a, a, a more moderate or more democratic uh, and I mean, for democracy, Republican Party, that doesn't exist. You know, very few of those people are going to run, I think, because they can't win. Well, let's get into that for a little bit. So another piece of good news for the Democrats this week and, and one way to look at momentum going into 
uh, any cycle is to look at who actually wants to run for office and who's retiring. Yeah, uh, up to this point, it's been a lot of Democratic retirements, which is never a good sign. But one of the GOP's strongest Senate recruits just said, no thanks. Joe, what's your take? Yeah, no, uh, Governor Chris Sununu in New Hampshire. Uh, look, he was regarded as the top challenger up there to Hassan. And, uh, you know, he's led her in a lot of the recent polls. And uh, he's not, he's said he's going to run for governor again. Uh, you know, he doesn't yeah. want to go to Washington yet, <laughs> you know. Uh, and, you know, look, maybe he's trying to protect a, a potential presidential um bid at some time and realizes if he steps out there and runs for the Senate right now with the definition of the Republican Party all being Trump, uh, even if he could win um, the Senate seat, uh, he'd be tainted, you, you know, have to take positions and, and, and he'd be tainted that would hurt him later on. So, but he's he's not going. And I think that's what uh, the Trump effect is, you know, that, that, that there are a lot of moderate or, or what I like to say is pro-democracy Republicans and there's very, like I said, there's few of them that still exist, but but they're not uh, they're not likely to. You're not seeing a lot of them step up right now. They know they can't win the nomination, uh, or that if they did, they'd have to adopt some of the authoritarian, you know, uh, ugly stuff, you know, help enable that that party. They're not running. Instead, you're seeing even the uh, you know people out there like JD Vance. Uh, you know, are sort of ex exposing who they really are every day by, right. you know, parroting the the ugliest Trump stuff they can, right? You know, to, to try to win their nomination. I think that's much, much more likely as these, as candidates like Sununu, uh, who I think could have maybe straddled both sides of the party up in New Hampshire um, because he's so well known up there. Uh, and then the, the you know the tsunami name is very good is, in New Hampshire. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, it's 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 you know it's synonymous with with New Hampshire. I mean, you can't think of New Hampshire without uh, thinking about the name uh, Sununu in its politics. So um, I just think that 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 was a real a real uh, tough hit uh, for recruiting on the Republican side, and I think again points to. Uh, I don't think they have a candidate beyond her. Uh, I mean, beyond Sununu up there uh, that could be, you know, that could be a real challenge. Um, so hopeful that we can take New Hampshire off the, you know, the target list. They'll seem like a targeter for sure. But I just think that that uh, hopefully that that that's one that we can now uh, run a strong campaign and win. That starts to get to the point where you can start to see. If enough of those kinds of things happen in places like Pennsylvania, for instance, oh, that is a nasty one, right? Yeah. Now. So you got that's what I'm saying. You get you know if Trumpists are in the driver's seat in, in these primaries and and um, the Sununus of the world step aside, um, you know you've got Parnell in in Pennsylvania who Trump's endorsed, uh, who's facing. <laughs> a bunch of bad, you know, domestic violence right. allegations, you know, he, but, but, you know, can he win that thing with, with Trump? You got Herschel Walker and uh, the same kind of domestic baggage uh, allegedly threatened to kill his wife. I mean, these are not candidates. I mean, you can see how these guys could be defeated is what I'm trying to say. Whereas a, 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 a Sununu type candidate uh, in Pennsylvania or, 
or Georgia. And I don't, I don't mean his politics, but just sort of his the name and, you know, that kind of stuff without a lot of baggage or baggage that's already well known and been accepted by the state of New Hampshire several times. Uh, that doesn't exist out in a lot of these places where they're really look to be nominating people that can, you know, to give Democrats a shot. You know, Warnock can beat Herschel Walker, I think. Uh, I think we've got a bunch of candidates in Pennsylvania. There'll be a tough primary there, but I think uh, more than one of them could beat Parnell if he's their nominee. So you start to look at 2010, you know, when um, Republicans had a lot of problems where they, they, they nominated these crazy, I mean, the crazier side of the Tea Party in some of these states. Uh, I think they lost Missouri. I think they lost Delaware. I mean, right. because of the candidate, because they had, you know, candidates that would that said crazy things or, you know, one, you know, was the, the witch in Delaware. I mean, uh, uh, I mean, it was just in, in, you know, literally so outside the even the the what you'd expect from a Tea Party candidate that those nominees, you know, lost states Republicans should have won. I think they could be doing the same thing, and I actually think we're doing a pretty good job. I mean, you look around the country at who or, or, who's talking about running and or already announced, and there are candidates uh, in these states that if we, you know, if they are the nominee. These these kind of Republicans are going to have a very tough time. Well, and you look at you mentioned this earlier with Sununu, but there are some big name Republicans who, as of right now, are, are, are sitting out, and they they would probably win. You look at a a Doug Ducey, who Trump is obviously at war with. Um, he's a lot of people, but I mean, even the moderates like Hogan, Phil Scott, who would be very very strong candidates in in bluish states, and they they aren't even really considering it right now. Uh, well, I mean, look, I think you're, it's not just that it's, it's the senators that have left, you know, that could be running for reelection. I mean, they've, they've had a lot, we've had our share of, uh, retirements in the, in the house, but, uh, they they've had a lot of retirements on the Senate side of things again, and they're not being replaced by you know, they're being replaced by Trumpies. Right. So, you know, and, and even the ones that have left Burr, you know, is now into some kind of, you know, he's into some kind of insider trading deal as he, as he, as he retires, uh, his brother is. Uh, so, I mean, I just think there's a whole bunch of problems uh, where, you know, Roy Blunt, others have just, you know, they've quit and you're seeing them replaced, not with the, the Sununu's, you know, with with uh, strong candidates, well known in their states, and aren't tainted by the Trump authoritarianism, those guys aren't stepping up. They don't want to be part of it, and they don't want to be tainted by it. I don't think so. In the Senate, I feel pretty good about where right. things are are headed. We still need, um, you know, in the House, it's a tougher it's a tougher mountain to climb, mostly because of reapportionment. And a redrawing of the lines, although so far with a lot of the states that have redrawn the lines that have come out, it hasn't been quite as bad as people thought. And uh, and I, again, there, too, I think we're doing a better job of putting, you know, candidates stepping up that are that, that I think are going to be appealing, particularly um, as the Republican Party in those districts become, you know, it, it continue to embrace Trumpism and this authoritarian movement. 
there's something to the idea though and and this kind of this is a dangerous thought so just wave me off you almost want the sinu news of the world i mean as a political idealist or someone who thinks we should actually have two parties it's kind of a damn shame that all these moderates who might actually be all right to work with are aren't even aren't even considering it yeah well like that, i think that's crazy um that it that it's not a, it's not a dangerous thought it's a crazy thought alex i mean look and i don't mean you know sorry but it comes you know it, it, it when i was uh back there when when i was in my 20s and 30s i, I may have had the same kind of thoughts but the, the the difference here is look let's argue that 10 uh moderates uh get elected to the house moderate republicans pro, you know get elected to the house you just gave jim jordan or kevin mccarthy the speakership and they will all be sitting there in the majority on january 6th 2024 voting on which which slates to certify and you're likely putting in power a bunch of people who collectively will certify the loser, uh, Donald J. Trump, uh, if he, which he will seek the presidency for certain if they win the majority in, in 2022, because he'll know they'll certify the loser. So it, it's, it, it's yeah, I, I agree with a lot of people who've come to the conclusion that until the authoritarian movement within the Republican Party is dead, uh, you cannot make the mistake of saying, oh, well, that one, you know, you, because that moderate is is only going to give them a, the majority. And and of course, as we've seen there, I think there have been uh, moderates who faced with the hate and the uh, attacks right. out there have have gone along. Right. I mean, it, it's just easier to go along with this movement and its threats than to than to um, fight it. I mean, look where right now there are literally two, two, like Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger are the only two that you can count on in the House, uh, and you can't count on them on voting rights. I mean, so when it actually makes my whole point. Even the two of them make my point. You 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 know, hey, yeah, let's let's elect let's. There's three, four more of those kind of Republicans. Let's 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 like take a walk and let them let them in. You can if you can't count on them on voting rights, the most sacred thing, you know, right of an American makes you wonder, right? What can you count on? Now, they've done I I don't want to, you know, attack, attack them. They've they've uh, been a lot braver, a lot more courageous than than anybody else out there on their side. I mean, who holds elective office? You know, look at Romney's another great example of was there on impeachment, but where where is he on voting rights and any of these other things? Uh, so we'll see. But no, I wouldn't that 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 one. It's not a scary thought. I just think until the authoritarian movement within the Republican Party is crushed, uh, thinking about having two parties that can work together and find some common ground and compromise that ain't going to exist. And it's not going to exist just because we we let five or six or 10 moderates through. It's only going to empower the authoritarian. So basically, OK, you've convinced me. Now we just have to get Joe Biden to listen to this for like five minutes. Yeah. OK, well, <laughs> well, he didn't have to listen to me. There's plenty of people out there, you, you know, Reed and, and Rick and others out there 
uh, you, you know, who are making the same argument, but I, I think it's the right one, unfortunately. And I, but like I said, I, I was six months ago or eight months ago, I was one of the people saying, Hey, we got to work together, you know, still had that sense of idealism still in me at my age. But I just think, you know, I've come to the reality here and it's uh, and I hope the rest of the enough of the rest of the country does, too. Joe, we do need a, to do a quick 147 update this week. There, there have been a decent amount of movement with the January 6th committee. Um, they subpoenaed a bunch more people. Um, I think they got they're trying to get more information from Rudy. Stephen Miller is in the group of the people that were just subpoenaed. And there's a lot of a lot of news in the headlines this week. A- anything there interests you? Well, yeah, look, they're up to 35 subpoenas now, I think. Um, and as we uh, discussed with Ruth Ben Giat um, in our last uh, one of our last uh, episodes. You know, she historian on this stuff and really studies it. You know, says that to stop the this authoritarian stuff, you you know, punishment, uh, accountability is is critical. It's the only way. Um, that, you know, and she she said. Um, so look, the committee is going to be. You know, it's limited by midterms. If the Republicans win, they're going to shut it down, and I think, you know, I really think it's Garland either and the Bannon's uh, referral, either he acts and takes, you know, and, and indicts, uh, you know, and panels a, 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 a jury and, you know, whatever, you know, get, goes through the process fast here uh, to indict uh, Steve Bannon uh, on uh, contempt of co- Congress or it's over. I mean, you know, I mean, as a the rest of these witnesses, the rest of these subpoenas that are out there, the other 35, they'll just stand pat. They'll just if if you're not going to go after Bannon on this, then they all know there's not going to be a consequence. And that's why I think what Ruth uh, told us all, it really struck me that uh, how critical and how important accountability punishment. We all know that. But it really means then that the first real test is does Merrick Garland uh, and the Justice Department act on that, um, on, on the referral to him on Steve Bannon, or uh, does he say, hey, you know, not enough evidence, whatever he's going to say, but uh, I don't think there's a whole lot of time to dally, you know, dilly dally around here. He's got to act pretty quickly or the clock's going to run out. So, Joe, that's just about all the time we have this week. Thanks, Alex. Uh, And thanks for listening to That Trippy Show, everybody. Uh, We'll see you next week. Don't forget, please subscribe to That Trippy Show. Uh, Leave a review on Apple or wherever you listen. And please do share the episode with a friend. I Particularly um, one of the episodes with Ruth uh, Ben-Ghiat recently, I think, you know, if you could share that one. There have been a couple, but uh, uh, you should share them all. But uh, there's that one really stood out to me on how important... uh, the investigation is. Uh, you can always send us a question to that trippy show at gmail.com or leave us a question in the review on iTunes. And and Alex promises, promises we're going to get to a, a question to answer a question on the next podcast. Stigmas around mental health were designed to hold us down, but we don't have to let them. If you're struggling, text or call 988 to connect with a trained crisis counselor who won't judge, just listen. 988 Suicide and Crisis Lifeline. Hope has a new number.